Hello, everybody. This is David Flower, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church. I want to thank you for joining us for this podcast today. Dr. Todd Allen is with me. Dr. Todd Allen is the Special Assistant to the President and Provost for Diversity Affairs and Professor in the Department of Communication Studies at Messiah College. He's also a frequent presenter at colleges, universities, conferences, and community events, and has taught a variety of courses that promote the intersection of diversity, civility, and the liberal arts. In 2002, Dr. Allen founded the Common Ground Project, a community-based nonprofit dedicated to promoting an understanding of the civil rights movement. For almost two decades, in partnership with the PNC Foundation, he has led one of the longest operating civil rights movement tours in the nation, called Returning to the Roots of Civil Rights. Not only is Todd an academic, a speaker, and an activist, he's my friend and my brother in Christ. I'm pleased to welcome Todd. Todd, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as you know, Todd, there's a lot going on in our country. What are we, like two weeks now into protest after George Floyd was murdered by a Minneapolis police officer? Um, so I, I wanted to bring you in today and and get um, your thoughts and your perspective uh, for us to get to know you a little bit better. You were here at Grantham, oh, uh, August, uh, what was that, Charlotte's? 2017. 2017, it was the weekend of Charlottesville. Uh, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, I, I did want to go back to that to that experience that we had that day and, of course, get your thoughts on where we're at right now and just hear from you. Uh, we we, we want to know um, how you're experiencing this as a black man and, and uh, all that you're doing, all that you're seeing, what you know of history and where we are now. How does it compare? Uh, what What lessons can we learn from the past and and uh, what word you might have for us moving forward, what we can do um, as the body of Christ. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, like your upbringing, where you grew up, and and tell us, what was it like growing up black? Sure, sure, sure. Well, uh, again, you know, my brother, it's good to uh, see you uh, and to be with you uh, for this timely conversation. Uh, I'm uh, originally uh, from western Pennsylvania, a little city called Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. I tell people there are two famous, at least two famous men who've come from there, uh, Joe Namath and myself. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, will turn 51 uh, this summer. And, um, you know, I think about uh, my experiences uh, growing up. Um, you know, I had a, 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 a great uh, childhood in, in small-town America, like... I think many people of my generation, um, but I also um, was raised knowing this this history um, of the uh, of the civil rights movement, and and uh, and that's just one chapter uh, in the larger African American you know story. Um, but it's a chapter that really stood out to me for a number of reasons. But growing up, learning um, about uh, who I am, uh, about the experiences of generations before me. Um, but it gave me a lens to even process, you know, what I was experiencing. Um, I, I think I, if you were to, you know, if people were to describe my town and my neighborhood, you know, we would um, say that uh, it was a place where people didn't see color and everybody got along and so on and so forth. And, you know, the goal is never not to see color because as long as you have the ability to see, you see. It's yeah. the perceptions that you have of it. Mm-hmm. And while things were pretty harmonious and, and I did have a you know, diverse set of friends, as diverse you can have in small town Western PA growing up, um, it was clear. Uh, you know, race was the, 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 
the narrative of racial difference uh, was clear uh, in terms of where people lived, um, you know, certain school district lines that were, uh, were drawn. Uh, while my school was relatively diverse, um, you know, there was tracking within that school. And so, you know, hmm. when I found myself on more of an honors track, I was, you know, amongst the few uh, persons of color, and particularly few men, uh, African-American, you know, male uh, students. Um, likewise, and, you know, in our, in our staff, um, you, you did not see uh, us, uh, the compositional diversity there. Yeah. So you saw clear, you know, clear signs of that. Um, you know, more experiences than one can count. Uh, growing up, you know, my friends and I described it as, you know, you fit the description. Uh, hmm. So having encounters, um, you know, with law enforcement, but not just law enforcement, really, any white person who thought that uh, you weren't where they expect you to be, um, then and now, hmm. you know, felt that they had the right to question uh, your your being you know, your very being. And so, you know, I tell people, you know, this cry that we hear now, um, Black Lives Matter, uh, and the hashtags that, that get attached to, uh, most recently, um, you know, George Floyd, mm -hmm. um, is not new. Um, that this is something uh, that as a people, uh, we have been fighting since the, you know, the very founding uh, of, this, uh, of this nation. Uh, so while it's a new conversation for some, uh, and I welcome you to the conversation, <laughs> it's not a new conversation uh, for all of us. Right. So, Todd, tell me about your role at the college, special assistant to the president and provost for diversity affairs. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty broad title. Um, you know, I, I've had roles like this prior in Christian higher ed, and honestly, um, many years ago had sort of resigned myself to uh, to what I called the fact that uh, many Christians, white Christians, are just not serious uh, about this subject. And, uh, you know, while I'm in these spaces and places literally fighting for my survival and the survival uh, of, of others. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just no longer going to do this kind of work. Christians, white Christians just aren't serious about it. Uh, so I'm just going to, you know, make do. Um the, you know, the Lord gave me a, a little bit of a break, uh, but again, anytime you are a person of color in these spaces, whether it's officially or unofficially uh, part of your job description, you, you find yourself pulled into to these conversations. Um, so even though I made this vow that I would never uh, do this work again, uh, I explained to people uh, my being at Messiah College, soon to be Messiah University. Uh, I tell people, I say, um, but for God, and Kim Phipps. <laughs> and sometimes they're in that order and sometimes they're reversed. But, you know, when you've got a chance to work with a leader uh, who, who has uh, uh, the vision for what it means for a community to truly reflect uh, the people that God is calling us to be. Mm -hmm. And then when you have the experience that I have um, in teaching on this subject matter, you know, it's one thing to uh, talk about it in the context of a classroom or in, in, in an article uh, to be very theoretical about it. It's a whole other thing to do the, you know, rolling up your sleeves, the tough work of trying to live it out. And so that's, that's what I'm blessed to do, uh, is to partner uh, with our community, uh, our campus community, 
uh, to be a place that represents and tries to build a sense of uh, connection, belonging, and reconciliation. Um, you know, I look at my job this way. When I show up uh, in the morning, uh, I try to get a pulse of, of where we are uh, as a people. And then by the end of the day, whenever the end of the day comes, did we move a little bit closer uh, yeah. to that reality of, you know, connection, belonging, and reconciliation? Some days we do, yeah. and some days we slide back. You know, when you're working with people, uh, you know this as a, <laughs> as a pastor, though I'm sure not in your congregation. But when you're working with people, people are messy. People are complicated. People are difficult. And even if I weren't working with people, I'm messy, complicated, and difficult. So when you add me into the mix, you know, it. Uh, but, you know, this is a calling, um, and it's not a calling that just I have. Uh, you know, that's the other thing I want to be very clear with people. You know, sometimes in these moments, uh, we look to... Uh, those who have been on the margins, in this case, persons of color, and we want to tell them, well, you know, you have a calling of reconciliation, right? People used to tell me that earlier in my career when I was young and stupid, and, and I believed that. I thought, oh, I do, and I can't leave this organization because if I leave, what happens to the Ministry of Reconciliation? And then one day, you know, I really started sitting down looking at some of those scriptures that I, that I quote, particularly um, in the... In the Second uh, Corinthians, um, and I thought we all have a ministry of reconciliation. We are all called to That's be right. ambassadors of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So I, I literally said to myself, "Fool, there's nothing special <laughs> about you, except that you serve a special God who's called all of us to that." And so that's the approach that I take. And so while my title might say special assistant for diversity affairs, um, I, I guess I'm the uh, uh, I don't even want to say the head coach because that's a little too much power, but but I'm I'm maybe one of the people out front, but it's it's calling us all to that ministry yeah. That, yeah. that we have. Yeah, that's great. And how many years you've been doing the tour? We have been doing the civil rights tour now for 19 years, yeah, which 19 is years. really hard to believe. Um, you know, if you'd have asked me even 20, 21 years ago um, about civil rights tours or civil rights tourism, I would have said, "What's that?" Yeah. Um, now I grew up learning the movement both at home and in school, uh, and could consider myself well versed. But it was, you know, we came along uh, doing these tours at just the right moment. Um, civil rights tourism was growing as a field. There were more sites coming online, uh, more veterans who were coming out telling their stories. Mm -hmm. And so in the past two decades, we have just been so blessed to take people from all over this country to a lot of the key southern sites of the movement. You know, I always tell people I want to be careful, you know, we go south, not because that's the only place that the movement happened, mm -hmm. and nor that the movement happened only in the places that we go. But when people begin to think of some of the images of the movement, that's where their mind goes. But we call it returning to the roots of civil rights, because when you go back home, wherever you come from, and many of our people uh, are not from down south, they're from up south. Mm -hmm. And so when you get back home, I want you to ask yourself, what was going on in my community at that time here? And more importantly, what's going on right now, and how can I find a way uh, to be uh, to be involved? Yeah, yeah. So, what ways have you seen the tour change people? Oh man, you know. Again, you know. I think one of the reasons that I'm sitting where I'm sitting uh, is as an institution, um, a decision was made long before my arrival that we would send. Uh, started out with employees, and then now has expanded to include members of our board of trustees and student leaders 
uh, on this experience. And I'll just tell you a story about student yeah, leaders, yeah. Um, you know, related to uh, Charlottesville. Yeah. So that was the year that I was coming in to Messiah College. <laughs> That's right. So the tour was in June, and I think there were four student leaders who had gone. And, uh, you know, if you'd ask them to talk about young people in the movement, students in the movement, or even name a song of the movement beyond We Shall Overcome, chances are they couldn't have done that for you. And that's not a reflection on, on them. That's a reflection on, as a nation, what we've not talked about mm-hmm. and what we've not taught our young people. Yeah. But they go on this trip, and uh, I think it was day three. They meet Rutha Harris, who was one of the original SNCC Freedom Singers. And Rutha sits them down in a church in southwest Georgia and begins to teach them songs of the movement, right? Later in the tour, as we're crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, two of the students are leading us across the bridge in song, songs that they just learned a few days prior, right? Wow, wow. Fast, uh, you know, uh, fast forward to, uh, to the fall semester here at the college then, and, and, we, and we're reminded of the, the, the tragic events that unfolded in Charlottesville with the, um, mm-hmm. um, the white supremacist march, uh, and the murder of Heather Heyer, um, our students had taken it upon themselves and said that we need some kind of a vigil uh, on campus marking that moment, um, that we need to um, not rush to reconciliation, uh, but realize that reconciliation is a journey, and right now on that journey, we need to lament. Yeah. And so these students put mm-hmm. together this service. Um, I was blessed to be the speaker uh, for that service. And then they wanted to do a candlelight march across campus. And students, they said, and as we march, put away your technology, put away your phones. We need to be in this moment. And so I was towards the back of the back of the march, and I could hear from the front. First of all, the leaders of this vigil were students who had gone on this tour. I could hear from the front them singing freedom songs, freedom songs that Ruth Harris had taught them. And I know they said, put away your technology, but I had to pull out my phone because I was in the back and record it yeah. and sent it to Rutha later. said, Rutha, these young people heard what you said, learned what you said. And guess what? The beauty of it is Rutha learned this as a college student. That's how she got in the movement. Yeah. So, you know, to to see that that connection and that impact, and you know, even in moments that we're currently going through now, um, what, what people have who have been on the, on the tour uh, are saying and doing um, um, really does, uh, does my heart good. Mm. Well, before we talk about what's going on now, you mentioned Charlottesville. Yes. And, yeah, welcome Todd <laughs> Allen in 2017 <laughs> to Granson Church because, oh, goodness, we had you scheduled to speak the weekend of Charlottesville. Yes. What months in advance? Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was at least a good month in advance. Yeah, and you you were coming to speak on the civil rights movement then yes. and now. Yes. And so Charlottesville happens. What was that like Friday or something? Yeah, Friday, Saturday. Friday night. Mm-hmm. And um, I had, you know, and the, and the worship pastor had planned to address this and to lament what had happened and to pray a prayer for racial reconciliation, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And uh, it was actually a prayer that uh, Missio Alliance, uh, a group, put out. And so I said a few things before that prayer, if you remember. I, I grew up in a, an all-white town in, in East Texas, uh, one of the sundown towns, you know. And, and so I was surrounded by that. But at an early age, I, 
I realized something is really wrong with this picture. And so I was talking about that and how, you know, interesting it is that children can see this, but adults can't. And then I led into that prayer and I hadn't got very far into that prayer. And someone yelled out in the congregation to get over it. It was jarring. I mean, what was probably two seconds seemed like an eternity for me. I can't imagine what it was like for you. Uh, And so I just thought to myself, help me Jesus in that moment. And I kept saying the prayer. And and then I said something like, you know, folks, um, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And and we're not we're not we're not ashamed to to you know be about that and against racism, we're doing this on purpose something along those lines, and I remember when I was done, going back, and sitting next to you, and you thought, that we had possibly staged that. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, yeah 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 yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, you know, I I I can remember that moment, and I can remember even where I was sitting. But even prior to, to that moment, I knew what had been planned for the service that day before Charlottesville had jumped off. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then Friday night, we see the, the, the protesters with tiki torches yeah. um, and their vulgar chants. Mm-hmm. Saturday, we see more of that and then the increased violence, right? And at that point, honestly, I was sitting at my house, and I would not have faulted you for this, but I was sitting at my house saying, there's going to be a call that comes and says, maybe we're just going to take a pause on, on this right now, and, 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 but we will, we, will, we will come back to it. And I was so thankful that that call never came. Oh, good. I was going to ask um, you, do you think I was bold or stupid? <laughs> stupidly bold. A little bit bold. No, I mean, no, I think, I think, I think you were, I think you were Christian in that, in that moment, right? But then what impressed me all the more was you all literally like tripled down on what, because I knew what you were going to do. And then I thought, oh man, they're like really going all in on this, right? And so, you know, to that, to that moment, um, I remember sitting there on that pew. And you're doing this prayer of repentance and, and reconciliation, and you had just shared, you know, some of your personal uh, upbringing, mm-hmm. and uh, and then a voice from the back of the the sanctuary mm-hmm. says, shouts, "Get over it!" And I never turned around because I was like, I don't want to see who that was. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at you, and like you said, it was all a matter of just like seconds, but felt like eternity. And my initial thought in my head was. Well, man, that's a little extra drama that we didn't need. At least he should have tipped the brother off that somebody was going to shout that. <laughs> oh. But I watched your face. Yeah. And your face went from shock to hurt to anger. Mm. All of this. And, I, and then I sit there and said to myself, oh, Lord, that was real. Mm. You know? And, uh, and then you, you finished. Uh, I, think I, I think I kept my eyes open the rest of the prayer. <laughs> but you finished. And then you sat down next to me. And I was like, do I look at him? And I was like, I won't look at him. So I just sat there. I think I took a quick glance at you, and your eyes were fixed forward. So I fixed my eyes forward. And then you did. You extended your hand to me. Uh, and I think I might have mouthed to you because I wasn't sure if the mic was on. Don't worry. I got this. Hmm. And, uh, you know, my only thing in that, a couple things in that moment, then when I actually did get up there, I, uh, 
I think I've said to people later, I was glad that he said what he said um, because we so often think that that no one thinks that way anymore. Yeah, I remember a- right? apologizing to you and you said, yeah. I'm glad he no, said No, I'm this. glad he yeah. said it because we think no one thinks that way. What would be the failure is if we think he's the only one yeah. who was thinking that. He said it. I said, you know, my only thing was I wish he would have been able to contain himself and shouted it when I was on the mic, get over it. Because I, I, I was ready to entertain and still want to entertain a conversation about what's the it we need to get over. And that's the thing about, you know, the lingering um, tensions uh, around race and racism that we see in this, converse, in this, in this country is that people want to get over it. But we've not dealt with the it. We've not had lament. We've not had truth telling. Yeah. We want to run straight into reconciliation without apology. Mm. Um, and, 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 and that's playing reconciliation also cheap. And I think yeah. the last thing that I, that I, that I, that I said, and I think I said this in the, in the pulpit that day, um, you know, in, in being thankful that he, I mean, I did not appreciate what he said, but even thankful what he said, you know, it would have been real easy had he not said that. For me to come, give my little talk about this trip, and to, for people to feel good and pat themselves on their back and then go on back to life as usual. He did what he did. He said what he said in front of everybody in that sanctuary. Guess what? When you get home for lunch or dinner, whatever you want to call it after church, and your kids ask you what that's all about, shame on you mm-hmm. if you didn't use this as a teachable moment yeah. to talk about. Yeah, Mommy, why did that man... Daddy, why did that man say what what he said, and and and, and how how we respond uh, to that? Yeah. Um, so I I hope and pray uh, that when people went home, uh, that they had those that they had those conversations in the car, and that they're continuing to have yeah. those conversations. If they if they didn't, then um, you know that was all that was all for for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that was all for that. It certainly made it real yeah. for us, um, and. You know, I know you know this now. Some of the folks listening may not know this, but I waited a few days, mm-hmm. found out who this person was, and and called them. Uh, my understanding is they weren't a regular attender, but nevertheless, so I tried to have a conversation with them about it. Uh, it. It was very clear to me that politics has a lot to do with this, right? Because some people think that the whole racism thing is some tactic by the left, mm-hmm. right, to stir up problems that aren't really there or something like that. And I could sense some of that in this in this mm-hmm. conversation. And I tried to explain to them, and we talked a lot about this here at Grantham Todd, about being a third way, mm-hmm. right, that we're going to address injustice without mixing the gospel with partisan politics. Right. Like, this is not, a, this is not um, any political party's agenda speaking when we speak out against injustice. So... What he said to me was, he said, well, good luck with that because you're going to make enemies from both sides. And I, and I didn't say it because I knew it would have sounded, you know, snooty or whatever. But, but I thought, well, that's good because I'm in company with Jesus. Right. 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 I'm, I'm in lockstep with Jesus because that's what Christ did. I mean, when you're told to love your enemies, one of the things that we miss in there is you're going to have enemies. Yeah, right? That's right. And when people yeah. tell me, you know, well, you know, yeah, that's... That's some left-leaning talk that you're doing. I said, well, uh, I thought it was Micah 6-8. Mm-hmm. 
right. the, 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 that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And if that's left for you, then, then maybe Jesus isn't who you think Jesus is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so what I had a spiritual director, and I asked him the other day. He's, he's an older gentleman. And I said, how, how old were you during the uh, first civil rights movement, right? The mm -hmm. 50s and 60s. And he said he was in college. So I said, now he's a white man, and I, and I said, how does this compare? He said, this is worse. Mm -hmm. um, the, the kinds of things that we see going on around mm -hmm. us. But I suspect there's some signs of hope in there too, right? Can, can you, Todd, talk a little bit? I mean, you give these tours, you know a lot, you speak on this all the time. How does it compare? Uh, where are the signs of hope in all of that, uh, even though it may be worse in some ways? You know, they, they say whenever you don't know who the author of a quote is, just say it was Mark Twain. <laughs> and so, uh, but I've been told this is Mark Twain. That said, you know, history may not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. Hmm. And, uh, you know, part of uh, being able to see and understand the rhyming that's going on in this moment um, is that you've got to know history. And unfortunately, uh, as, a, as a nation um, who, you know, loves their country and loves their flag and we are so ahistorical, and uh, and we've uh, allowed a lot of lies of history to become our our, yeah. our truth, and so mm -hmm. we don't know our our true mm -hmm. um, history. Um, so you know, when I look at the the civil rights movement, or you know, just maybe even another phrase, the the Black Freedom Struggle, uh, it didn't end in the nineteen sixties. Uh, we're just in another chapter uh, of that, yeah. um, and so. You know, I saw a very powerful uh, sign at a, at a protest uh, the other day that said, Emmett Still, Emmett Still. And uh, I tell people, you know, if you don't know who Emmett Till is, mm -hmm. right, and, and, and what happened to that young boy uh, in Money, Mississippi in 1955, and then the courage that his mother showed uh, in having his body put on display in the hopes that, people would see what the ugliness of racism looks like and this would never happen again. Yet here we are in 2020 um, seeing incidences of Emmett still, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, mm -hmm. you know, for some of my college students, um, Trayvon Martin was their Emmett Till moment, right? Uh, I mean, the list, uh, unfortunately, yeah. is, just, is just endless. And so, you know, part of, of being able to address what's happening right now is the need for people to get a more informed historical perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, I've often found when I talk to people and they have difficulty understanding uh, the pain of what's happening, it's because they don't know the history. Right. But as soon as you start to turn them on, not everybody, but as soon as you start to turn them on to a little bit more of the history, that gives them some of the context that these are not isolated incidences. These are not a few bad apples. This is not just a, a, an accident that happens in that part of the country over there or that part of the country down there. Uh, this is something that is systemic uh, and systemic uh, in, our, in our nation. Hmm. Why George Floyd? Right? I mean, so many. You named so many. Yeah. What is it now, you think, that has caused a massive massive uprising and protests. Um, what do you think it is? I mean, I don't know if it's one thing. 
Um, but I did notice from a news standpoint, it did um, take a lot of the, the death tolls that we were getting about COVID off as the lead story. Um, and, and I don't say that to, to, to diminish that, the crisis of that pandemic that we're still in, right. um, by the way. Um, and I don't want to say that, well, it gave people a diversion, but, but people had more time on their hands. Uh, some people had more time on their hands to see uh, maybe what they've not seen before. Maybe they, for some of them, it began a few weeks prior when they saw video footage of what happened to Ahmad Arbery down in Georgia. Even though that footage had been around for over a month, but we just saw it, mm-hmm. you know, recently. Um, you know, maybe they began to, um, for some people, re- replay tapes from from previous incidences. I I I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, my my fear, uh, my only fear is is that this has got to be more than just a moment. Yeah. Right. Uh, I believe they're having um, the third now of memorial services for Mr. Floyd. Um, and, and I know I've heard people, you know, even talking about, you know, COVID, that uh, I can't wait till things get back to normal. Mm. Um, we need to realize that normal was never working. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't working for everybody. Right. And that, uh, you know, Dr. King, some people forget this, that, you know, his, his address that we know is I Have a Dream was actually going to be titled Normalcy Never Again. Oh. And that ought to be uh, our cry is that normalcy never again. We can't go back. To normal. Wow, I'd never heard that before. Yeah, we can't go back to normal. Mm-hmm. This upsurge, this outrage, this activism that we're seeing. What brings you hope in that? You see anything that's happening that seems different or encouraging to you at all? Or Cor- Cornell Cornell West says, <laughs> uh, "I'm a prisoner of hope." Mm-hmm. Right, despite what I see around me, um, I'm a prisoner of hope. I think to be a, a Christian, despite the chaos that one sees around them, you've got to be a prisoner of hope. Um, I listened um, to uh, some movement veterans talking over the weekend, and one said so eloquently, nowhere in our history as a people do I see written, and then they quit. Right? No. No. Despite slavery, despite lynching, despite Jim Crow, despite the prison industrial complex, despite redlining, you, you name it, it goes on. People continued to hope and people continued to fight and work for change. And so, you know, I sit here on the shoulders of so many generations that went before me. Um, you know, I, I occupy the spaces that I occupy, not because I'm so smart or because I'm so good looking or I'm so talented. Uh, it's because people made a way. And mm-hmm. so I owe it to those people to then continue to make a way uh, for the generations coming on, on behind me. And so that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what gives me, that's what gives me yeah, hope. That's good. What, uh, tell, what do you think the role anger plays in this movement, um, do do you think all anger is helpful or not? Um, well, trust me, I've been angry uh, <laughs> plenty, yeah. plenty. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, uh, not only in this particular instance, but in in other instances. Um, you know, I think it's what one does 
um, with their anger. Um, and, 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 you know, do you allow that to drive you to make um, um, long-lasting and meaningful change? Or do you allow that anger um, to uh, express itself in returning hate for hate, mm. in returning violence mm. for, for violence, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but it's interesting, though, you know, when, when people were protesting these issues in very peaceful ways, and I don't want to get political with this, but, um, but when people were protesting this in, 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 in very peaceful ways, there were many uh, who said, well, no, not like you that. can't do that. And no, that's not yeah. appropriate. And no, don't do mm-hmm. And so, okay, well, if that wasn't peaceful for you, you know, uh, as, as King said, you know, riots are the language of the unheard. That's mm-hmm. not an endorsement of rioting, sure. but that's an explanation that people are going to get your attention one way or, or, the, yeah. or the other. Yeah. Uh, and you would do well uh, to listen uh, when people try to approach you in a peaceful fashion. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. You know, I hear people talking about, um, and, you know, not to be crass here, but when people, you know, who, who, who want to quote or misquote King uh, in this moment... You know, King wouldn't have been welcome in many of their churches, many of their schools, many of their neighborhoods or friendship circles. But now all of a sudden they want to misquote and misuse King. And then they'll say, well, you know, what would King, what would King do now? And I have to respond back to him. We don't know because you killed him. Yeah. There was a guy of love. Yeah. There was a guy of peace. There was a guy driven by his deep and abiding Christian faith. And y'all killed him. <laughs> Yeah, it's the Reverend yeah. Dr. Martin yeah. Luther King, right? Yeah. And when you think about the different ways, and you and I were talking before of this podcast just uh, about some documentaries, you know, mm-hmm. they're out there, and you look at the different leaders of the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s, there were different approaches, right? Mm-hmm. But but King was about peace and love, knowing that right that transforms a person's heart. Right. But, but you're saying, talk to us more yeah. about that. Like, he wouldn't be welcome in a lot of our churches. Why? Well, no, well he, he wasn't. I mean, at, you know, at the time, the, the, you, know, you know, people forget that, you know, uh, you look at the opinion polls of King. He was not a popular figure when he spoke out against the war in Vietnam, mm. when he talked about uh, poverty in this country and redistribution of talked wealth. military-industrial you know, we complex. Him, we and, called him, a, a, you know, yeah. a communist, um, you know, which would be the equivalent of our terrorist you know, label now. We called him unchristian. Um, I mean, we literally tried to tear um, this individual down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it's important for, for people to understand, too, that the movement was more than King. And that when we talk about the civil rights movement, it's probably, you know, better said civil rights movements. That there were a variety of approaches, philosophies, tactics, leaders, organizations, and perspectives, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't this one thing, yeah. you know? So even now, again, I hear people say, well, I wish the movement now was like the movement then. And I tell people, be careful what you ask for. Um, because, you know, part of movements is, again, disrupting the norm, mm-hmm. uh, is sitting in, yeah. is marching, is protesting, you know, the very things that we're seeing uh, in front of us now. So I tell people, mm-hmm. be careful what you ask for. Right. Would you say that Martin Luther King... Um, embodied more of the Jesus way. Is, is that how you understand it? I mean, his, his whole approach? Well, again, I mean, you know, not just, not just King, uh, but others. But, right. you know, it's been, it's been said, um, um, one of his, uh, his contemporaries uh, was asked, of all the, 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 the political uh, theorists, of all the sociologists, of all the philosophers that King ever studied, 
who would you say shaped his thinking the most? And without hesitation, this person said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? The gospel. Yeah. That's what shaped that's what shaped him. Yeah. He was not a civil rights leader who happened to be a preacher uh, and preached on Sundays and then did this civil mm-hmm. rights work or this social justice work mm-hmm. during the week. At his core, he was fundamentally... Yeah. King said this about himself. He goes, I am fundamentally a clergyman. Then he got even a little more specific. He said, a Baptist preacher. <laughs> right? So this came out of his understanding of the gospel right. and out of, out of Jesus. Right. Yeah. Todd, what do you want white Christians to know? And I want you to be honest. Just tell us the truth. Right. What, what do white Christians need to know and what should we be doing right now? We, we have got to understand, uh, I think I said this earlier, um, but I want to say it again, that, that this um, commitment to uh, reconciliation is not for some, it's for all. Um, that it's a mandate. Uh, we're called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We're called to bring healing where there's separation, healing where there's division, um, justice and peace where those things are not... Uh, in existence. Um, and that's a call for all of us, um, that we have been too long silent. We have been too long in denial. Uh, I know you're going to mention resources for people. Um, a great one that gives you a historical perspective um, and, and aimed at the white church uh, is Jamar Tisby's The Color of Compromise. Okay. That basically says, yes, I know that there have been Christians who at times who have stood up and done the right thing. But also we've got to acknowledge that there have been moments when the white church failed to stand up, right. either remained silent or, or was complicit. complicit. Uh, but either way, compromised um, the integrity of the gospel um, to embrace this myth of, of race. And, and that has happened from the beginning of our country to this present moment where you and I sit. Yeah. And we've got to understand that and we can't be in denial about that. Brian Stevenson talks about the narrative of racial difference. Uh, We have got to look at ways that that narrative of racial difference has impacted us, not just personally and interpersonally, uh, but systemically and structurally, uh, and the damage that it's done historically then and is still doing now in this country. Um, Denial and turning a blind eye uh, and a deaf ear uh, is no longer cutting it. Um, It's time, it's past time for the church to be uh, the church. A book that I'm currently reading right now that uh, couldn't have dropped at a more opportune time uh, is David uh, Swanson's Rediscipling the White Church. Uh, And he makes a pretty plain argument in there that many in the white church, many in the white community, uh, have been discipled into the narrative of racial difference rather than discipled into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm, And it's time that we put that narrative of racial difference behind us, confront it, call it out for the lie that it is. Uh, I was on a call with some people, and they said that, uh, you know, racism, well, it's a sickness. Well, no, it's not a sickness. It's a, you know, and, and I wanted to say so plainly on the call, but, you know, that wasn't the time and space. It's a sin. It's a sin. Let's call it what it is. Anything that lifts someone up uh, and demeans other people and diminishes the image and value and worth uh, of God's creation is a sin. Uh, And that's what it is. And so what do we do with sin? Uh, We repent. We turn from it. We turn to something else. And so realizing that, you know, this journey of reconciliation is going to require repentance. 
this journey of reconciliation is going to require truth telling and hearing some hard truths uh, that we don't necessarily always time want to hear, but we've got to hear. That it involves lament, uh, that it involves apology, right? Mm -hmm. Um, before we can get to this thing called reckoning. And it's ongoing. It's not like it happens okay. one time and, and we're done. This is ongoing yeah. uh, work that, uh, that, uh, that we must, uh, we must yeah. do. So you talk about racism as sin, right? Because at the, at the root of it, that's what it is. Yeah. And I, I think that this is the unique role the church has to play, right? Isn't it? I mean, yes, we, we want changes in the law. Uh, we, want, we want changes in this broken system um, we should even protest right but if if the church isn't the one that says no this is this is sin <laughs> and and show a way forward in the way we model repentance and believe that really to overcome such deep systemic problems we need the Holy Spirit's power to do it, right? Would you agree with that? Oh, I mean, like, if, if the church doesn't call out sin, then who's going to? Yeah. Right. It certainly <laughs> isn't going to be those that don't follow Jesus, That's right. right? That's right. It has to be us. And not only call, call it out, but then who's going to show a different way? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, as a pastor, that's, that's where my heart is. Um, this past week, I wrote a letter to our church and just said, you know, how many times have we looked back in history, uh, whether it be the doctrine of discovery, you know, or, you know, the Rwandan genocide, South African apartheid, slavery, civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s, and, and looked at the church, specifically looked back at the church and said, what were they thinking? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here we are today. Yeah. No, I often, I often tell people, you know, um, when we're uh, studying the movement or taking one of the tours, you know, people will like to play that what-if game of, of history. and Or they won't even say what-if. they say, if I was there, I would have done this and I would have done that. And they always have to remind them, you know, have a little bit of humility. You don't know what you would have done. But here's a good insight. You know these issues are still going on right now. So whatever you're doing right now, is what you would have done then. Yeah. If you don't see it right now, you wouldn't have seen it back then. If you saw it but ignored it because that was too inconvenient uh, or too you were too afraid, you would have been too inconvenienced and too afraid yeah. uh, back then. That's what's been on my mind lately. And that's what I told our congregation this. I, I said, when my boys, seven and four, mm -hmm. get older and they look back on what I believe is a historically yeah. significant time right yeah. now, and they say, Daddy, what did you do? What did you do? You know, I, I want to be able to have a good answer for that. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, and my heart just breaks for the church in America and yeah. how we've so far strayed from right. the Jesus path and being yeah. able to be in a position even to speak prophetically into these things. And that's I mean, it. You know, that, and, and, and they're not going to want to just hear about a statement that you wrote. Right. Uh, a document that you published. <laughs> I mean, statements are great. Documents are great. I mean, I, I, I do those things. They also want to know, well, what other work followed? And then particularly when you had a moment to, 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 to confront, to correct, to challenge, to change something. Did you do that or did you slide back into yeah. complicity? 
That'll preach, brother. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Todd, thanks for talking with me today. Is there anything else that you, you want to share that's on your heart that, uh, you know, that, that we can do, ways that we can respond yeah, well, you know, I, I will say, first of all, I, do, I want to thank you yeah. uh, for, for this conversation. I mean, I think, as you can imagine, I've, I've been having a lot of these conversations in a lot of forums, or at least a lot of invitations, uh, and I don't accept them them all. Um, but there are those special people um, that when when they call, you respond, and, and, and you were one of those, one you, of those people. Thank um, you. And if I can do anything to continue to support uh, what you're doing in your particular ministry. Uh, I'm, I'm just a phone call uh, away. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, you know, really wrestling right now, particularly a lot of my white friends are really wrestling right now with, you know, do I say something or do I not say something? Is this a time for me to speak? Is this a time for me to be quiet? And, it, and if I do either one, am I speaking too much or am I too quiet? Um, you know, as a communication prof, people often ask me, what's the... <laughs> What's the, the biggest communication lesson that people need to, to learn? And I kind of laugh and I say, well, it depends on whatever it was I was lecturing on earlier that day. If I was lecturing on conflict, then it'll be conflict. But, you know, really it comes uh, to me, you know, if I had to pick one, I would say listening. Hmm. And it's been said that, you know, one of the biggest problems with listening uh, is that we so often listen to respond rather than listen to understand. And I think what... what um, I, as an African-American, uh, want my white brothers and sisters uh, to know right now that as we are dialoguing, as we're navigating this moment, um, that I appreciate when you listen to understand. And listening to understand means you're going to hear painful stories. You're going to hear phrases that, that might trigger you uh, a little bit. You're, um, you're going to have to fight that urge to say, that's not true. Uh, for example, you know, when you when you hear Black Lives Matter, you're going to have to fight that urge to say Blue Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. Uh, please don't please don't say that. That's listening to respond, not listening mm -hmm. to, to understand. Mm -hmm. um, but as we learn to listen to understand uh, to one another, um, that can change not only what happens for us on an on an individual interpersonal level, but we've also got to start listening um, to what's happening at a systemic level. Like I said, you know, nor normalcy never again. That's That's got to be our, our cry uh, in this moment. Yeah. Um, and so my, my fear is, is that people will want to slide back into complacency. My hope is, is that people will realize complacency does not work. Yeah. And so I've just got to continue to be a prisoner of hope, and I want others to be that's prisoners good. of hope uh, as well. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Thank you.